Hi and welcome to Life Lessons with Now Is Your Time. You're with Donna Elliott and Cheryl Lee. I'm saying them right today because sometimes I get them wrong. And today we've got an absolutely gorgeous guest with us, Emma Roscoe. And when we met Emma and we heard her story, we just had to share it with you guys. Um, Emma has had what most of us have, one of those lives where there has been a few curveballs, but the birth of her son marked a decision point almost five years ago when she just decided and declared that she was going to be the best mum she could be. But honestly, sit down, pin your ears back and get a cuppa because this is a pretty amazing story. Welcome, Emma. Hi. Welcome, welcome. And we just love your story. And we can't, obviously, guys, you can't see us, but Emma actually shaved her hair for charity. And I've never seen a woman that looks more beautiful with a shaved head like you yeah. look absolutely stunning gorgeous thank you gorgeous and that's because you're gorgeous inside now but we were talking weren't we because a lot of you've you've battled with your anxiety and your identity for all of your life until really logan was born when you were telling us about this incident when you were 15 a really cruel comment after an accident that you had so just i think it's really important so i'd love you to share that with the guys listening yeah sure well when I was 15 I was with a few of my friends and we were going to a, a house party we weren't supposed to be having we um jumped off the bus and we're crossing the road and out of nowhere a car hit us and the injuries that I sustained were serious and I was unconscious for quite a while and don't remember much of it but when I finally returned to school I had to return in a wheelchair and I had multiple injuries and some of them were very visible some were on my face some on the rest of my body And on my first day back at school, a boy stood and blocked my way out of a classroom and looked me up and down and just stared at me and said, well, at least your face didn't get too fucked up. And then he kissed his lips at me and all his mates laughed and he just walked away. And I sat there in a wheelchair, just wanting the grind to swallow me up because I didn't know what to do and I couldn't move and I couldn't answer him back. But that little comment that those few words were all it took for me to start believing that my worth was largely dependent on my looks and what other people thought of me Mm -hmm. and it changed how I saw myself for the rest of my life going forward from that point I mean being a teenager yeah it's it's hard work when people Uh say that teenagers were the best years I'm like I must have been in a different (laughs) I found it brutal and I had like a nice life it wasn't like it was horrific but it was brutal. So A, to have that accident anyway is horrific. Like, I, I like to go through that as a teenager and to be in a wheelchair. But for somebody to say that, and, and we said this, didn't we, Emma? Like, he probably doesn't even remember. Like, if you saw that guy, he won't remember that comment. But for you, it was like that seed that was planted and it's grown and grown and grown for you to really question who you were and, and challenge really what what your worth was is what you were saying like am I just tied up with how I look yeah definitely and I think once that seed's planted you look for evidence to back it up so every time someone was looking at me in my head they were judging me and they Mm -hmm. were thinking I was ugly or that I wasn't enough I never saw the other side of it from that point on and I just looked for things that reinforced what I started to believe about myself which was really damaging Hmm. well it led sorry Cheryl go on just as teenagers when you're in that time of your life like you're still 
you don't really know who you are when you're a teenager. Like that is your, your teenage years are finding who you are. Yeah. That's you, you, you were being going through the process of finding who you were. And it's almost like that's had been like ripped away from you. And with that one comment and then left you seeking external validation, validation. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it, and it really impacted your future obviously yourself but your relationships that you chose didn't you in terms of your partner it was like that incident was kind of like it was the lasting damage from my accident when my body recovered my mind didn't because of what that boy said and how I saw myself and then less than a year later I ended up falling in love with the wrong kind of boy and I spent the next 10 years of my life in an emotionally abusive and sexually coercive relationship Mm, and what like did you you know when you look back now with those early days of that relationship because I do this when I look back at when, when I first met my partner my first husband who was very abusive the signs were all there and I was blinded by hormones and stupidity and thinking I could fix somebody and were they there for you as well Emma because I'm always conscious of I'd love women to start spotting these signs and men to start spotting these signs in those relationships so that they start going oh maybe something's off here yeah I think the signs are really and the reason it becomes so toxic and so suffocating is because it starts so gently and subtly it's not you know they don't do the things that cause the most harm straight on early in the relationship it's Mm -hmm. a drip drip effect and it happens over time but a big part of what I want to do going forward is to shine a light on that and the subtle signs for young people Uh so that that they look at their own relationships their eyes wide open because I know how quickly the blinkers get put on and it happened very quickly to me and once you're in it and you haven't got anything to compare it to and nobody's shining a light on what a healthy relationship is or isn't you just fumble your way through it. And I, like he was raving, he was waving red flags in my face and I didn't even see them for what they were. Mm, blinded. And like, talk, do you want to use this platform now to talk about, cause I could talk about it, like what the, some of those signs are that you would say to someone that is a red flag, the big, yeah. it's being waved <clears throat> and you were ignoring it. What are those top couple of signs do you think? I think the very early stuff was just, not stopping me doing things but just suggesting that perhaps I didn't do them so it would be little things like oh you sure you want to wear that you look Mm. much better when you wear this Mm -hmm. oh well why do you want to do that this weekend I thought we could do that oh I know that you're friends and you want to see them but I really wanted us to do something special together but it's fine if you want to go and do your your own thing I'll just I'll just stay at home I guess and yeah it was there was like a guilt trip all of the yeah. time but then in between that there would be the praise that was put on me all the time the adoration the undying love the and then the oh I don't deserve you you could do so much better than me and then you end up going no of course you deserve me no I yeah. couldn't no one loves me like you love me and you become grateful. Like I became grateful for the love that I received. And I thought that I accepted the love I thought I was deserving of, mm-hmm. which wasn't very much and wasn't very good, but you easily get sucked into it. And then when the work, you know, the, when they up the ante, when the control gets worse, when it's checking your phone or 
not letting you be on social media or wanting to know where you are all the time ringing you and if you don't answer your phone why aren't you answering it and who are you with that stuff doesn't happen straight away and when it does you're already in this little bubble where you feel you need to justify and explain everything you do yeah yeah you're so far in aren't you by the time it gets yeah when it starts to turn a little bit nasty you already have somehow been led up the path to believe that you can't live without them and you're not worthy of living without them and all that kind of stuff yeah. so I think it's really important to share those early signs for people that because like you said it's the two sides isn't it? it's the suggestion that maybe you could be doing something else with them not with anybody else but also that making you feel like a princess and it's it's over the top overly romantic gestures and over you know which is what we think we want isn't it but that's yeah. often a bit of an, an alarm hmm. yeah, definitely how did it progress then and like when so you were because you were with them for 10 years yeah like just I know that it's not all about that but what was that like and how did you you know what was your mental health going through that like what was the fallout from that relationship yeah I didn't tell one single person what was going on. Mm. So all my time and energy went into pretending that I was okay and that my relationship was happy and normal. And I got really, really good at it. Like I could have won a flipping Oscar for some of my performances. Mm, yeah. It was so convincing. And that became my coping mechanism to just focus on that, to being, being okay, presenting as being happy and strong. And that served me for a length of time but I went to uni when I was 19 and the only reason I got to go to uni was because I once told his dad's girlfriend that people who love you don't ask you to make choices about whether you do something you really want to do or not and that got fed back to him and that's the only reason I think I was ever actually made it to uni because he thought he'd lose me if he didn't let me go right but the control obviously increased because I wasn't with him all of the time yeah. Um, and my mental health started to deteriorate, but I made it through. I kind of lived a double life. I was one person at university and then another person when I had to come home every weekend and be with him. Mm. And my friends at uni would never have believed it because I was the one that they went to with their relationship problems. And I was the feisty one who'd be like, you don't, you don't take crap like that from a bloke. And who the hell does he think he is to treat you like that? And I'd empower them, mm. but couldn't do it for myself. Mm. And then when I was doing my dissertation, I was a law and criminology student. And I, out of all the subject areas I could have chosen, I chose to focus mine on women who end up killing their abusive, violent partners. And I did a case study review. But in my head, I wasn't in an abusive relationship. So I then spent months surrounding myself with these stories and horrific experiences that these other women had had. And I still couldn't see what was happening to me. Mm. but it affected me on a subconscious level and I became really severely depressed Mm. and I dropped out of uni for my final year and had a whole year off on some very high dose meds and had some counseling and went back did my final exams but the minute I tried to pick up my dissertation again to finish it it hit me again like a ton of bricks and it wasn't until years and years later when I was about 28 that I even realized the impact Mm. of what was going on at that time it's crazy when I think about it now how I couldn't see it it's crazy Mm -hmm. but it happens to people every day Mm. it's it's a total blind side and obviously that depression like to to me like how I 
observed that through my own experiences it, it like your body is and your mind is trying to tell you this is you you know this is you've got to look at this but yeah your whole conscious mind and you're using your will to resist the reality because you don't want that to be true do you you don't want to be the person who's in that relationship that's yeah. not who you that. are no they, things like that happen to other people they happen to the women i studied they didn't happen to me and also I didn't get depressed. Like depression wasn't something that happened to someone like me either. That was something that happened to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I denied it and denied it and denied it until I got to the point where I couldn't eat without being physically sick. And so like I was dropping weight a lot. And I, every time I sl- slept, I woke up sweating, panic attacks. But I still kept trying to push myself on, push myself on because I needed to yeah. finish uni and I needed to be okay. And I needed to prove to the world that I was enough. Mm. And it just, yeah, I was my own worst enemy. Isn't it amazing how our body, though, our body is giving us all these signs because yeah. we're not listening to the thoughts. So, yeah, it's almost like I'll try something else to get her to listen to me. Yeah, and it's your like, what the hell do we have to do? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We're making wow. you ill now and you're still not listening. So how did this all, what, what panned out with your relationship? Yeah, so we it carried on as it was after uni and stuff like that for years. There was incidents where it was particularly bad. I was, um, there was a lot of sexual coercion in the relationship. And again, on a very subtle level for a long time. Will you um, just tell people what that means? Because again, there'll be yes, people out there sorry. who are thinking that they're in a happy relationship and not really getting maybe yeah. what might be going okay. on. Yeah. So coercion is when you are, not necessarily forced, but you're almost like persuaded into doing things you don't want to do or doing things against your will. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that happened with us a lot throughout those 10 years was we would have sex that I didn't want to have. So sometimes it was, he would initiate sex when I was asleep and I'd wake up and find that it was already happening and obviously not consenting to that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'd ask him to stop and then he would, try to not stop and try to persuade me or hold me Mm. um there was one incident which I class as rape where I was very very clear that I didn't want him to do what he was doing and he still carried on until the point where I just shut down and was crying I always thought that rape was something that you were at risk of from a stranger a dangerous predator you know when I was younger I didn't think that that was something my boyfriend could do to me. Yeah. And I think a lot of young people are very not aware of that a lot of the time because it doesn't have to be down a dark alley at knife point. Yeah. You can be in your own bed. Yeah. Yeah. And with someone who loves you and yeah. says they love you and someone who you love. And that was probably one of the more damaging things that happened because it resulted in again me thinking that I was only good for certain things. And even years later, when I was out of that situation, I still looked for validation from men that I was good enough, whether that be them finding me attractive or wanting to sleep with me or chasing me. And it was not because they thought I was an amazing person, just because they wanted me in a sexual way. But I still took validation from that without even noticing all the other stuff that I was amazing, that was amazing about me. Yeah, yeah. But you being this is what grooming does to us though, isn't it? It gets us in this state of people it's almost like they can see it and they can smell it, they can see this weakness in us or this 
want wanting to be loved or this whatever it is that they can see and they kind of just pick at it and pick at it and pick at it until you, you you look at yourself and you don't remember who you were anymore and you don't like yourself you don't like the decisions that you're making then you hate yourself more when you find yourself making more poor decisions but it's almost like you can't you don't know how to be any different at that point in your progress though do you you, you yeah. don't like how you, who you are you don't like your decisions but what do you do what did you do yeah, I mean, I, I got to the point where I was waking up every morning and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I just didn't even recognize, like you said, I didn't even recognize the woman staring back at me. Yeah. But the one thing I remember is looking into my eyes and seeing the desperation and the woman I was looking at pleading with me, do something, do something, make it stop. Yeah. And I felt so powerless too, because this had become my normal. This was how I lived my life. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. I felt so disempowered. And it actually got to the point where I started like pushing him to the point where I wanted him to physically hurt me so that someone would see it so that someone would go, Oh my God, Emma, this isn't okay. And they'd make mm -hmm. it stop because I honestly didn't feel I could do it for myself. And it, it's disgust. I feel disgusted still that I wanted him to physically hurt me because I know there are men and women who ch and children who are subjected to physical abuse and it's horrific but that's how desperate I was. And that's yeah. the reason I share that with people so that they can understand that what can start as a little bit of control and emotional abuse can end up completely destroying you as a person. But you were so, you were in so deep at that point in time. Like I totally understand because it's easy to explain something physical, isn't it? It's very hard to explain his behavior when you're so coerced. You, you're always feeling like you're the person that's gone mad aren't you when you try and explain it there's they can always come up with a very reasonable explanation as to why something happened I used to end up apologizing for stuff that wasn't my fault mm. because he sometimes would you know sometimes he'd get angry and smash stuff up sometimes he'd cry and then I'd end up consoling him and making mm. it okay because keeping the peace was safer and even yeah. when I left him the reason I got to the point where I was going to leave him was because he came back one day with um, details of properties that he wanted us to go and look at and was talking about having a mortgage and starting a family. And like we'd been engaged for several years by that point. And I just, I just thought I can't do this. And we were in bed and he'd shown me these pictures of these houses. He's like, I want to show you something. And I just went, no. And he goes, what do you mean? No. And it's all I could say. I just kept saying, no, no. Yeah. And then he burst into tears and said, he realized, and he was just like, please, please don't, don't think about it, all this stuff. And I, I lay in bed next to him all that night and I got up the next morning and I went to work and he begged me to take some time. So I did, I took a week, but I'd been leaving him in my head for the past 10 months, psyching myself yeah. up to that point. So it was never going to end any other way for me. But yeah, on the day I went to give him my, definite answer and handed him back my engagement ring like I even did that politely and kindly not because that's what he deserved but because I was doing it to save myself I needed to slip away from him as quietly as I could yeah. and I needed to make it okay and not him not pursue me after that so I kind of did it in a really nice you know nice way and I even remember saying you know I think there'll always be a part of me that loves you and that in my head, I was screaming like, what are you what? saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, 
but you just wanted to get out like yeah, it's get out in one piece peacefully he, yeah definitely because even in the moment I was leaving him I was still massively under his control yeah and it took a long time for me to regain that control over myself and my way of thinking and how yeah. I see myself yeah and often that's the moment that most women from the stats I've read and what I've heard are in the most danger that's yeah. when they can become very violent very quickly and mm. you know what I mean because they realize then that actually they are losing their grip on their control over you and your decisions in your life and that's when yeah. a lot of the time you know bad stuff happens so and it's me like I'm just sitting thinking and you'd read all those studies about those women and <laughs> somewhere in your head you must have that rattling around yeah Yeah. it's so it's like it's so it's so crazy though when you can see and hear and be submerged and stuff and still not recognize it in yourself and I didn't even again for years later it was only when I started having a normal relationship that I started to think oh so this is what it's supposed to be like Mm. yeah but I was going to say that when you left him you still wouldn't have realized at that point you would have had no England you knew you weren't happy but you wouldn't have had any England at how dysfunctional it was because you've been with him from a very young age as well it's not like you had all these other relationships it was my first proper relationship other than you know a few snogs and whatever in the playground Mm. it was it, you know, I lost my virginity to him. So yeah. they were my first sexual experiences. Yeah, I've got yeah. nothing to compare it to. No, no. no. And, 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 and again, from what I've read and what I understand about it now is like, that is the majority of rape happens with people that so-called love you. And, you know, I remember listening to Amy Schumer's, um, I don't know if you've heard her, her super soul with Oprah. And that was her first experience as well of her, you know, waking up her boyfriend. Yeah, I read her biography and she shared yeah. it yeah and and even then i remember listening saying like that's rape you know and she's like she just wouldn't she said it took a long time for her to really use mm. that she almost felt like she was being mean she consoled him because he cried after it as well right like yeah. he didn't realize what he was doing okay yeah, you make it okay for yeah. Them. yeah yeah so yeah this is a conversation i think we need to be having with young girls though because this is happening too often in relationships and especially with first sexual experiences so mm-hmm yeah absolutely thank you so, for sharing so yeah it's this is so it's all so powerful and there's so much learning and then so let's fast forward like how tell us about how logan came in your life okay so yeah he's coming up five now and mm. uh, five in october um we i always wanted to be a mum it was like, you know, when you're little and you plan all your things, I planned on getting married at 25 and my best friend was going to be my bridesmaid and then I was going to have my first baby at 28. I got it all planned out. Um, <laughs> I love the got, schedule, Emma. I love the schedule. It. Oh, I got it. It was mapped out. That's how it was happening. <laughs> Didn't factor in the 10 years of shit and all of that, but you know, <laughs> the way it goes sometimes. But when um, me and Logan's dad started kind of like just talking about trying for a baby but it's kind of like you know well I'll come off contraception we'll see what happens sort of thing just play it by ear no pressure and I was early 30s and um I actually got pregnant very quickly and I remember thinking like oh my god am I ready for this it's like didn't expect it to happen so quick um everyone but, says it takes a year what what's this I know, about? I know like well we're not you know we're ready <laughs> but you know I was really excited and I remember kind of go, going to the scan and thinking like oh my god this is amazing and then the woman was like, oh, I can see another one there. She was like, I think there's twins. Sorry, that's my dog. 
okay real life people dogs in background oh, yeah. we, had, we had a one-on-one client's dog barfed up in the last week while we were in a one-to-one I was tickled she's like I'm so sorry I was like it's okay the dog doesn't know it's your one-to-one yeah <laughs> yeah he fixes moments mine does bless him um, yeah and her saying oh there's there's twins oh. and, oh, <laughs> <laughs> doorbell. see we got we got oh. Logan out the way we got Logan and then the doorbell goes Right, I've just paused it, Chippy. Right, thank you. Sorry, someone's ringing the doorbell and the dog's barking. I'm back in a sec. Hang on. If I can All right, don't it. worry. There we go. We got the door. This is what happens in real life. People knock on the door and the dog goes crazy. So you yeah. got pregnant super quickly, Emma. And then... I got pregnant really quickly, yeah. And at the first scan, they told me it was twins. and um, But very quickly, that kind of exciting news turned into a something's wrong. Mm. And... Um, she told me that one of the we'd lost one of the twins. Yeah. So they monitored me and stuff like that, and it went carried on. And then when I went back, I was being scanned weekly and everything was fine. And then a few weeks later, I lost a second twin. Oh, so so it, yeah, nothing prepares you for that. That kind of you've what you've always wanted is there, and then it's snatched away, and it feels really cruel. But I kind of got into this mindset of. I need to stay positive. I need to stay strong mm. because that had always been my go-to. Mm. And um, we, you know, we carried on. And when I felt a bit better, we tried again and things like that. Well, I had four miscarriages in total and we lost five babies because the first one was twins. Mm. And when I became pregnant with Logan, it was exciting. But because in my head, I was like, it could just happen again. I almost denied myself a lot of the pleasure early on in his pregnancy of enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And I'd spent, when the doctor consultants couldn't find a reason for me continually having miscarriages, my self-talk began to say to me, well, maybe it's because you don't deserve to be a mum." Mm-hmm. So I was preparing myself to lose him because that's what had always happened. And um, he wasn't going anywhere. So... Mm-hmm. But yeah. like you said, you don't, I mean, I had two miscarriages and I know I was the same with Caleb. I didn't, I just held my breath, even though they said there was a heartbeat and there was every sign it was because we had early scans and all the rest of it. And it wasn't until he was 20 weeks that I started to think, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. It's that we didn't announce it until I was about 22 weeks pregnant. Mm. Yeah. And like, bearing in mind, I was like a size eight and five foot two prior to that. I was very noticeable <laughs> by that point that I was pregnant and I was yeah. just walking around wearing clothes that were like a tent to try and hide it. Um, but it was because I didn't want to have to have that conversation with people of, you know, yes, I'm pregnant. And then, Oh no, I've lost it again. Yeah. And mm-hmm. mentally I wasn't in the best place, but I kept trying to stay positive because it was all I wanted. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I'd, I'd got my heart set on the natural labor. I'd done the hypnobirthing. I was all prepped. I'd got me oils. I'd got the lot. And I was breezing through it to begin with, breezing through labor, even went to Sainsbury's, I went and had a KFC. I was all, it was all good. Yeah. I was rocking it. I was thinking, walking around like, I've so got this. (laughs) And then it's how you give birth, people. Yeah. How you labor. Yeah. But first time mom and I've got it nailed. But um, yeah, it kind of went very bad, very quick. And the pain just went from, kind of being like trying to breathe through it and managing to just feeling like someone was stabbing me mm. and not knowing is this normal is this what happens 
But I remember the midwife looking at me, throwing me on my side, hitting the alarm. And then all of a sudden the room was flooded with people. Yeah. And they were like, the consultant came in, put a hand on me, had a look and went, we've got to get him out now. Mm. So they were rushing me through for emergency C-section. Luckily his heart rate picked up a little bit by the time we got through to theatre. So they allowed me to have a spinal block rather than knocking me out because mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be there. I wanted to hold him, I wanted to feel him as soon as he came out. And um, he was born not crying, didn't make a noise to start with. And then all of a sudden this massive wail come out and I was just like, oh, my God, yeah. if he's okay. And I remember his dad going, he's okay, he's okay. And um, then all of a sudden there was four or five people around him and it all went very quiet. And I was like, something's wrong. And they wouldn't tell me what was going on. And then they were like, no, no, he's okay. We just have to give him a little bit of oxygen. He's all right. And we were both okay for a few days. Mm -hmm. um, I was very, very sore because it was... Um, as graphic as it sounded, it was like a cut and a pull because uh -huh. Just he was a lot, bigger than, yeah, yeah. lot yeah. bigger than they anticipated him to be as well. So I think yeah. there was a lot of, oh my God, we can't get him out. Um, mm. But everything was going well until he was three days old and I'd transferred back to a midwife-led unit to have a little bit of support because obviously I had a C-section, I was breastfeeding. Mm. And I remember looking at him and thinking something's wrong. And I told really? one of the, one of the like, um, the staff on the ward, I was like, I'm, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm looking at him and I feel like he's telling me something's wrong with him. And she was like, oh, well, okay, let's just have a little look. And then there was a senior midwife that had been on the night before with me. And she said, if mum's saying something's wrong, then something could very well be wrong. Hmm. Oh, we love her. Because yeah. normally they say, oh, first time mum's mum's so paranoid and you're always a bit neurotic. Yeah. 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 She was like, no, mum's saying something's wrong. We need to check. And she was on the phone to the hospital where he'd been born. And then she came back in and she said, how many hours was it between your waters breaking and you delivering? And I said, 36. And she looked at this other woman and she said, and were you given antibiotics and stuff like that afterwards? And I said, no. And then the next thing she's like, we need to get him back now. We need to take yeah. him back now. Because um, 24 hours is like the sweet spot, isn't it? Because then is it the meconium and stuff can be in yeah, the and it's kind of like can get infections. Yeah, and... it can be quite toxic, can't it? Yeah. They, um, Whizzed us both back. He went in a separate ambulance. Um, I, I had to get his dad to come and pick me up and drive us to the hospital. And when I got there, there's, there's a senior midwife standing there saying, I'm not taking you to postnatal. He's in neonatal intensive care. Mm. Oh my and, goodness. Oh, it was like, yeah, I, I, they just, there were no words. I just, I, a little bit of me died inside. Yeah. Because I just thought I'm going to lose him. Mm. and um it was a couple of days before we even started to know what could possibly be wrong mm. he was sedated intubated um he had wires coming out of everywhere and they were testing him for everything so gradually results started coming back in so it would be like okay we've ruled out meningitis we've ruled out sepsis and it just kept things just come like this but they didn't have any answers and then after several days, he um, ripped out his own tube, his own breathing apparatus, and started breathing on his own. Wow. And they were like, you have got a little fighter there. Uh-huh. 
and well, there's nothing little about him because he was nine pound one. But wow. <laughs> <laughs> well done. There was, there, was, wow. there, was, there was prem babies in there that were the size of his leg. It was just a, he was a giant compared to a lot oh. of them. Bless him. Oh. Um, and eventually they kind of concluded that he'd had a brain hemorrhage and that it's um, there'd been pressure on his head during labour because he was stuck and it had ruptured yeah. a blood vessel and he bled into his brain and that's what had caused it. So for three days he was functioning normally and they don't know if he'd had seizures on his way to hospital. They don't know whether the seizures had triggered the bleed or whether the bleed had triggered the seizures, but mm-hmm. way it was what happened and but thank god you listened to the mummy bear instincts and advocated for your child because absolutely how many stories do we hear where we're just foo-fooed and put off and da, 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 and just as mums you've just got to stick to it haven't you and say no like something is wrong something is off because god knows what i do you want to think about what would have happened to you all exactly, over yeah. and like it i used to think, think i used to about. torture myself with it when i brought him home because i was like what if i'd have fallen asleep what if I hadn't noticed yeah. and all of that used to go on in my head so I got to the point after bringing him back where every time I slept I would dream that he'd stop breathing mm-hmm. and I'd wake up and have to check him and when I was awake I used to relive those moments from the hospital again and again in my head yeah. and I'd yeah. be thinking if I take my eyes off him something will happen to him yeah I mean even without that like I remember because I used to have the same thoughts as you like when I finally did have Caleb after four years of trying and and, and I'd go in and I'd constantly check his breathing and I'd be thinking like I'm just so terrified like what if I what would if we can't have it all what if I can't have this nice man and this lovely house and this baby and so with that on top I can't imagine but it forced you into this position didn't it of really taking stock of you yeah of who you were yeah, I remember just looking at him one day and thinking, you deserve the best mummy that you could possibly have. And I'm not well enough to be her. I'm not strong enough to be her. And, but, you know, I'd waited my whole life to be a mum. I was going to step up. So I made the decision to, to do that, to become the person he needed me to be mm. and the person I needed to be for myself. Yeah. But I didn't do it for myself to begin with. Yeah. And, I didn't know what to do or where to start, but the first thing I did and the life-changing thing for me was I started to take personal responsibility for my thoughts, my feelings, the choices that I made every single day. And then in time, I was able to start taking responsibility for things that allowed to happen to me in the past. And that was huge because then that opened the door to me being able to forgive myself and go back and love myself at each of the stages of my life and the difficulties I've been through and love all of me because it all contributed to becoming the woman that I am now and the mum that I am now yeah and it was yeah it was life-changing I love how you just say that I just took personal responsibility like I just I just took it (laughs) it was it was literally because my back was against the wall and I didn't know what else to do and it was that what can I do I felt I felt spent so much of my life feeling powerless like in that relationship when I was losing babies and I couldn't do anything to keep them and then watching him fight for his life was absolutely terrifying absolutely and I'd spent so long keeping quiet and staying small and being shrouded in shame and not wanting to put my hand up and go, you know what? I'm really not okay right now. And I need some help. Mm-hmm. I've been too ashamed to do that for too long. And it was like, no, no more. I didn't think I deserved it yet, but I knew he bloody well did. I'm sure so it was like, yeah. I'm going to do it for you. 
That's amazing. I spent so much of my life staying small and shrunk yeah. in shame. That's so powerful. And life now is very different, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look at that smile. I wish you guys could see the smile. Yeah. So no, what, I, what has changed in your life? Like, for, like the woman you are today, like in, in what you do and, and living in your purpose, what does that look like now? I think a big thing for me was being comfortable in my own skin and shaving my hair off was huge because during that 10 year relationship, I had very little control over a lot of things, but because he never did anything to me that was visible to the outside world, he'd never do anything to my face. He'd never physically harm me. And he sure as hell couldn't do anything to my hair. So I used to have different hairstyles, different colors, especially in the later stages when I was like not wanting to be in that situation anymore. Mm. My hair was hugely significant and shaving it off to raise money for survivors of domestic abuse was like, it just seemed like it was something that was always meant to happen. Mm -hmm. And as I sat there and shaved it off live on Facebook, a part of me came alive. It kind of like off as my hair came off that final little bit of, unworthiness or not feeling good enough came off with it okay. and it was like me just really fully reconnecting back with my power I'd done a lot of work and I'd done so much but it was like the final little jigsaw piece and I was like mm. you know what I'm just going to do what I want to do from here on in and not apologize for anything anymore because it was yeah it was so it was empowering it was liberated and it kind of made me think that all those things I want to do I'm just going to go out and do them now because yeah there's nothing stopping me. There never was. I, it was always, a lot of it was in my head. I was fighting battles inside myself that no one else could see. Yeah. And I've won those battles now. So I'm in a place Absolutely. going out and doing some good. Absolutely. So what's next for you? Like, what's your big goal now? What's your vision? I want to do some more speaking. I want to do some more public speaking, sharing my experiences. But I'm yeah. currently starting to put together workshops and a program to help other women like myself so mm. that they can own their shit but not be held back by it anymore yeah um, and also doing stuff for schools colleges unis to fit in with the sex and relationships um, education stuff that's coming into force in September um, where there is a real focus on identifying those early signs signs yeah and, and knowing what those signs mean like someone can tell you that it might be you know stopping you doing things you want to do but what does that actually look like how does that play out in reality because it's those little yeah. things that you miss and yeah. then I hope that other young people men are you know men and women can look at their own relationships and the relationships of their peers and those around them and actually mm -hmm. go you know what that's not okay or yeah. that's not for me and be able to see the red flags when they are there I love that. I love that you're, you're on this mission to yeah. get, 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 get them while they're young, but also help them if that's where they are. Yeah. Amazing. I ha honestly, like, what's your, what's your life lesson? What's the one thing, someone now who's listened to your story that you want to, you want them to hear? Okay. That trauma and adversity are experiences that we don't choose for ourselves and they are not our fault. But we always, always, regardless of what happens, we always have a choice in how we respond, whether it's in the moment it happens, weeks, months, or even years in my case, later, you still get to choose how you respond and who you choose to become. And 
you can do whatever you want with that. It's you just get brave the enough, brave enough to it. take personal responsibility for becoming the change yeah. that you need. Become the change. I love that. It's been an absolute privilege yeah. speaking to you today, and I know everyone's going to love this one. So thank you so much for being so brave and sharing your story with us today. And we're sending so much love to you and that love. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks, thank Emma. Thank you.